Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, August, hell, I don't know what it is. It's like 18th? Ni- I think it's 19th. I think it's 19th. It's almost oh, football sure. season, I guess, is the point. Um, still don't have an intro. Uh, I've pretty much lied about that. I don't know what the deal is. I'm going to have to get with my boss on that. We're going to figure that one out eventually. I can, I can get an intro made. I would like to get an intro made, so if you can get one made as soon as possible, that would be great. Um, so I don't have to keep saying the same thing over and over again with no music or anything. Um, and then... Yeah, I don't think we need a close. I don't hell, we may get a closing. I don't know. What the hell does it matter? It's about the content. Um, packed show today. We've got uh, a lot of football stuff to get to from Friday. They had a scrimmage over the weekend that, as of this recording, I'll be going to football practice after this um, to kind of find out what happened there. Um, some different things over the weekend. We got some hoops news and we have some golf news as well as the state of Mississippi whipped ass in the U.S. Amateur. Um, what's up? Not much, not much. It, uh, we get, we have football games that count like less than a week from today, so I, I am excited. We do. Um, so what you got? So this Saturday, obviously, it's the week zero. So you've got Arizona and Hawaii, um, who I hope kicks off at midnight or so because it's in Hawaii. Yeah, and then you obviously the big one is Miami and Florida, and. I know everyone thinks Florida's a lot better and not giving much Miami much of a chance, but like what people don't realize about these first game things is like when you play these first couple weeks of the college football season, like weird stuff happens because teams don't know each other. You remember when uh, Miami was supposed to be so good last year and everybody thought they were going to run LSU off the field and then the exact right. opposite, LSU beat the shit out of them? Like yep. th- this kind of stuff happens week one and week two. And I guess that that doesn't that's not really the best example because I think LSU would have beaten Miami in any of the 12 or 13 weeks of the college football season last year. But my point is, it doesn't always happen that way. I think Ole Miss and Texas Tech is a good example of that. I've said this on this podcast before. I don't think Ole Miss beats Texas Tech six weeks into the season. Even uh, with Texas Tech's quarterback issues. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. But Ole Miss was a different team week one than it was week seven, for sure. And part of that's uh, depth, though. Like, part of that they got down to, you know, what... Siski was saying that day at practice, it was like 50 scholarship players. I thought it was like 58. 50 is ridiculous. Jeez. Um, but, yeah, I mean, weird stuff can happen. Look, Miami, like, if you go and look at recruiting rankings and, and everything, Florida's not that much more talented than Miami. Uh, just on that. And Florida's lost a lot of guys in this current recruiting class. So I don't really think Florida's going to out-talent uh, Miami. Now, look, you know, Felipe Frank, you can have your opinion of him one way or the other. Uh, this is his third year as a starting quarterback. Miami's going to be starting a freshman. That probably matters. But I don't think it's going to be a talent issue on Saturday just for that game. Is this just the way it's going to be with Dan at Florida? Is this how this everything is going to go? Every offseason is going to be tumultuous because yes. it's the state of Florida. It's Florida University. They have a, I mean, every program has its offseason issues in the offseason. Florida, particularly, and a lot of times Georgia, hate to be stereotypical, at least in the past, couple of years seems to have really hit been hit hard with off season off the field issues in the off season. But my point being is like last year is like Mullen's not recruiting very well. They've had some off the field issues. Then he wins what? They won ten games last year? Yeah, they won nine. Is that just gonna happen every single year? 
Is that um, what it's going to be? It's going to be like, hey, okay, he can't recruit. They've got off the field issues. Oh, wait, he just won ten games again. I mean, yeah, that, that. Well, I mean, if he doesn't recruit, now let's let's give my point this: he recruited well at Florida. Um, there was talent there. So if he doesn't recruit, I mean, crap. If he recruits the same level he did at Mississippi State, I mean, he's going to go eight and four, nine and three every year, and never win the East. Eventually, that's going to get you run out of games. Um. Yeah. I, I don't I'll push back a little on him getting run out because he doesn't win the East. It's it's maybe eventually you're probably right, but I think he gets a little bit more of a pass because Kirby's there. Like if it was still Ricked at Georgia and they're squandering all that talent and winning nine games a year and you're losing to, you know, South Carolina or Kentucky or some weird weird stuff every year probably. But man, Rick's I mean Kirby for his in game flaws the last couple of years is building Alabama East over there. Yeah, I mean, with recruiting and the way they gen- manufacture talent and just kind of keep – I mean, they don't rebuild, they reload. I know that's the corniest, most cliched saying of all times, but there's no one that's been able to do that from a recruiting standpoint like Saban has until Kirby. No one's done this act- this consistently. Well, did Urban not? No, that's fair. I'm, I guess I'm talking about since because the beginning of Saban was kind of the end of Urban. Sure. I, I, I just think that at some point Florida fans are going to look at this and say, uh, why can't we be Georgia? Um, you know, if he keeps going eight and four, nine and three every year, and, and Kirby keeps going eleven and one and twelve and zero, I just wonder at some point if, if the guy from uh, Naples looks at it and says, I don't, "I don't really understand why we can't do that." And I don't necessarily think that's an unfair question. But if he recruits at even a slight level, see, this is my thing with Mullen at Florida is like everyone's upset that he's not like landing a lot of these kids, and that's fine. But even like the base, like Mullen won with three star kids at Mississippi State and one really big for the most part just is the baseline not enough for him because you can wake up and put on a Florida shirt and you get you know your your pick of four stars maybe he's missing on the elite kids but with Mullen's coaching ability is that not enough to get him like I mean to me that like who says they aren't going to beat Georgia because I would argue Mullen's a way better in-game coach than Kirby so if the talent level is even reasonably level then Who's to say he's not going to? I mean, he's only been there a year. I feel like Mullen is almost, and I hate to sound like I'm sticking up for Dan Mullen, but I feel like he's almost like, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Not not getting a pass, but like it's almost as like he's being treated as if he's been there longer than one season, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, that, that part's fair that he, he's been treated that he's been there longer than one season. I do think the recruiting is an issue. I think he brought in a, he brought in a bunch of kids this year to uh, circumvent a recruiting issue that you know maybe they weren't kids that were high quality character and that's why they're gone um, so I look I don't think you can recruit in the top 15 or 16 at Florida and, and win at the level that those people want I, I just don't I think I think the difference between like recruiting at the number 24 spot in the country at Mississippi State and recruiting at the number 15 spot in the country is not that big of a difference I think recruiting in the top five versus the top 13 or 14 is that big of a difference that's I think, that's a hundred percent true yeah, I, I think that's what's going to be his bugaboo. If, if he can't recruit the top ten man, I don't think he's ever going to be able to win at the level that Florida fans want. I know this sounds silly because he's been at Florida before, but part of him may still be learning how this is different than Mississippi State. And the reason I say that, and I don't think he would mind me sharing this, I was talking to Will Salmon at SEC Media Days. Um, I hadn't seen him in a while. Good friend of mine, if you've listened to this podcast or the show, Will helped me out a lot when I was like really young coming through uh, – like as a student reporter and as an intern and some other things, he's a really nice guy. I don't know why he helped me. He didn't really have to. Um, but we were just talking about some stuff, 
And he was saying, like, he was, he was like, after Florida win, I remember, like, asking him, like, how'd that go? And he's like, fine, I had to grill him a little bit because he keeps taking kids that don't qualify. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you don't have to do that at Florida. And you don't have the Florida JUCO system to stash them away for a couple years so they can. But you're Florida. Like, you don't have to do that. And I thought that was interesting. And, like, not that that's really significant towards this season or anything in its own right. I just think it's interesting that maybe he's still learning a little bit that how this is different than Mississippi State. Because, yes, he's been the offensive coordinator before, but he's also never been a head coach in an elite-level job. So maybe there's a learning curve for him, too, as far as recruiting. Because maybe, like, is is it crazy to say he's so programmed to trying to find kids to develop and stuff like that that he doesn't understand that it's a hell of a lot easier at these things? I mean, I'm sure he understands that. But is there some muscle memory he has to erase with regards to how he approaches recruiting, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that that's fair, and I, I think you're going to see that more in a year or two. I do think if they lose to Miami on Saturday, it could get pesky down there. Uh, you, you lose that in-state team, and you, you go to Kentucky two weeks later. I don't know. It just it just feels weird if they lose that football game or all that's happened in the offseason. It could get it could get dicey there. Yeah, he probably doesn't need to lose to Kentucky again. I don't think Kentucky's going to necessarily be very good, so that'll be helpful. But, I mean, hell, he lost to him in the Swamp last year. It was early in the season. Their losses were really weird because they, what, went 9-3? and three? Yeah. Well, he lost Missouri. to Ken- he lost to Georgia, and then he lost to Missouri where he got absolutely boat raced in the Swamp, and then K- Kentucky beat him. Like, aren't they 11-1 and one if they play reasonable games against Missouri and Kentucky? I don't know. Kentucky was really good last year. Really good. They were, uh, but they lost to Tennessee. Do yeah, they did? But that was the that was the week after they lost to Georgia, where they could have won the East too. Yeah, I don't know. Kentucky, Kentucky would be like a five and seven, six and sixteen this year. Florida will probably win. I do think it's possible Florida drops either the Miami or or at Kentucky game though. That's fair. Anyway, that was your ten minute dig dig mulling segment on a <laughs> podcast that covers Ole Miss. Um. Where should we start? I guess I'll start with football. We had practice on Friday. Um, we stood out there in the sun again, then talked to uh, Friday's defensive day. So if you haven't gotten the gist of it through two weeks, and I barely have, so I'm not like talking down, I promise. Um, so basically we get Matt Luke on Mondays and a couple offensive players. So really you can get whatever. You get the, all the offensive side of the football on Wednesday with Rich Rodriguez, whoever else, and then Mike McIntyre and the defensive guys go on Friday is generally how it's gone. So we talked to Mike McIntyre, Lakia Henry, um, who else did we talk to? KD Hill, and there was one more that I'm missing. Oh, Jalen Julius. So I guess I'll hit the highlights that stuck out. So Jalen Julius made the move from corner to safety this past offseason. And... It was kind of, I don't want to say it was like under talked about because it's not like a major move, but the reasoning for the move was interesting to me is because in McIntyre's scheme, he says there's really not a lot of true safeties that can cover a slot. And since Julius being a former defensive back, our cornerback can obviously, they feel good about him covering man on man in the slot. He still has a lot of man responsibilities. Um, he said really the main difference is the amount of checks he has. He has about 10 to 12 as opposed to like one and two playing at corner. Um, and he's playing a little bit further back, obviously, at safety. But listening to him talk about kind of the different things he's asked to do is interesting. Um, so, like, yeah, he's a safety, but it sounds like the most like use they're getting out of him is as, as a slot corner, essentially, out of that spot, which I found interesting. Um, I don't know. Julius is an interesting kid because he's a kid that was, like, going to transfer, then, like, didn't transfer, and now he's actually turned into a pretty good player. 
Yeah, no, I mean, he, he left for a little while for a family reason, came back. Uh, Ole Miss is going to rely on him, on him secondary a lot this year. I mean, that, he's going to be a, a key for him at that position. And, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting career for sure. I mean, to, to leave and come back and, and to be able to step on the field and play immediately, I think that says a lot about the kid. Um, you know, it, I think the move to safety helps him a lot. Um, I think it helps Ole Miss a lot. He, he's one of their best defenses back. So you got to find him a way to get on the field, and they certainly have done that. Yeah, he has, and he played a lot of last year with a banged-up shoulder. And a part of that, it was Mike McIntyre had an interesting quote the other – I guess I'll basically read it. It says – he said, there aren't many safeties who can cover a slot. He's physical. I watched the film last year. He had a hurt shoulder and was coming downhill and hitting people with all he's got. He can cover so many different things. He can allow us to do so many different things in coverage. So I think McIntyre saw just the physicality and like kind of the somewhat – aggressive instinctual traits you need to play to you need to have to play safety and thought it was a more natural fit and Julius got asked something about that too and he was like oh yeah I like playing safety he's like I like playing corner but I'm not scared to hit people either and then just kind of grinned and that was the end of the answer um so it was an I don't know interesting move I I think it's it it's one that'll work out pretty well for Ole Miss as far as the I guess while we're on that subject um this really shouldn't mean a ton but the first team defense on Friday, from what I had, was as follows. The cornerbacks were Miles Hartsfield and Jalen Jones. The only difference from that is Hartsfield ran with the twos for a couple of days and Kedron Smith ran with the ones. That flipped the other day. Armani Linton and Jalen Julius were at safety. Keep in mind, at strong safety, John Haynes is still nursing a, quote, lower body injury. I don't really know. For Matt Luke is really good at, like, not hiding injuries. He's not paranoid about that type of stuff at all. Like, generally, he will tell you what's going on. But the John Haynes news got announced after a Friday scrimmage and or Friday practice. And granted, that was the Friday practice I missed, so I don't know exactly what happened there. So all we have is lower body. Um, so that's probably like Armani Linton's going to play a lot of snaps at strong safety, but that's probably why he's running with the ones. Sam Williams and Chuck Wiley were outside linebackers. Keep in mind, Kadir Shepard's supposed to come back and will probably take Wiley's spot there. Um, inside linebackers been Lakia Henry and Momo Sonogo. So Lakia Henry, after running with the threes for the first part of camp, has kind of found his way back up the depth chart, and not, that shouldn't really come as a surprise to anybody. He was a JUCO kid. He's expected to come in and play immediately, as most JUCO kids are, at a position of need for Ole Miss um one of the things that was interesting about Lakia that was not that is not necessarily the norm is that he's a Juco kid that did not enroll early he did not go through spring ball so most Juco kids graduate in December get on to campus wherever they're going go through spring practice and kind of get rolling Henry did not do that I am not a hundred percent positive as the reason why um I actually I have to go back and look. I may have written something about that at the time. I really honestly don't remember, though. Point being, he didn't have the spring, so he was kind of slow getting some of the playbook down and some of the different things he's supposed to do. It looks like he's kind of found that out a little bit, and is kind of wor- he's working with the ones. I imagine he'll stay up there. I don't know if he'll start the opening game, but he's going to play, and he's going to play a lot. But it was interesting listening to him talk about that because it took him a while, but now he says he kind of kind of feels more comfortable and started understanding the concepts better. Um, he's playing alongside a guy that technically, in like class wise, they're the same age. But Mohamed Sanogo definitely feels like the older guy of the two there because he's played so much more football. He's helped Henry kind of figure out some of the pass coverage stuff that he's responsible for and some other things. Sanogo's primarily in that inside linebacker spot, responsible for most of the calls. Henry kind of serves as the secondary guy there to kind of help guys get lined up or anything else. But obviously, Sanogo's really kind of the quarterback of the defense if you really want to use the old bottled up cliche. Um. 
So it was interesting listening to him talk about just kind of the different things that it, it he had to learn before things started clicking for him. Um, really, the only others, I mean, that really surprised. Defensive end was Tariqus Tisdale and Austrian Robinson. Um, Tisdale had been running with the twos, and Ryder Anderson had been running with the ones. That's really, the defensive line's very fluid. This entire thing's kind of fluid at this point. And the nose tackle, Benito Jones. Um, really, the main, not surprise, but the main guy, well, if you're looking for a guy who's kind of shot up depth charts from the defensive perspective, it is redshirt freshman defensive lineman KD Hill, who, if he fell on me, it would be over. They would need a new sports uh, beat reporter at Super Talk Mississippi. Um, he's a big dude. Um, so redshirt freshman played in like three games last year. I think the only game he recorded a tackle in was against uh, ULM. But he's been running with the twos at nose tackle a lot. He's a big dude. Um, I think the coaching staff has really liked what they've seen from him. He's gotten a lot more reps at the twos. Um, kind of if you're looking at other guys running at that spot, it's Quentin Bivens, Ladarius Cox, um, who's a true freshman, also a very big dude. Um, so I think KD Hill is going to be in the mix behind Benito Jones at this nose tackle spot. I think he's going to play a decent bit. Um, he's had a really good camp, and again, my only other observation is he's very large. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't doesn't seem like a human being you want to mess with. No, uh, but I mean, no. he's your typical nose tackle. Takes up a lot of double teams, which helps out the linebackers behind him. Like just pretty much big, just like. I mean, you're going to put a big dude down there to take up space and uh, and require multiple bodies to come at him, and that's kind of your guy along with Jones. Yeah, and, and especially in this 3-4, you need a guy that can force double teams. Um, so, look, Ole Miss has some depth on the defensive line, it seems like, for the first time um, in a long time, to be honest with you. It, it, it feels like they have guys on, on a le- you know behind the starters that can actually make solid impact for this team, and, and I think that's going to be one of the keys for this season. Yeah, so that was one of the things I wrote on Friday if you read the practice report. Also, thanks for whoever read and shared that other story on uh, the two-sport thing. That's one of the worst writer's blocks I've ever had. Like, that thing literally took a month. I published that thing a month after I intended, um, which is not necessarily ideal. You probably don't want to do that. Um, But anyway, thanks for reading and sharing that if you did. I really appreciate it. Anyway, to your point about the depth of the defensive line, they really do because Ryder Anderson at defensive ends played a lot of football. He was technically had their first two deep listed behind uh, excuse me listed behind Tariqus Tisdale both those guys are going to play and play a lot you've got you feel pretty good about your other side defensive end with Austin Robinson Chucky Mullins guy senior been around a guy Andrew Sycotney another senior both those guys are going to play and then of course you have Benito Jones at nose tackle and then you're having Quentin Bivens and really KD Hill is kind of shot up into that number two slot so uh, to your point they are building a couple uh, some actual substantial substantive depth i guess is what i'm trying to say on the defensive line where through their 2d they feel pretty good about all the guys they have up there and that doesn't even really count ladarius cox who's a really big body true freshman that they really like on the defensive line too so if you're looking for the deepest part of the defense is undoubtedly the defensive line just last year on the defensive line and granted it was a different scheme so you're playing four down with two defensive ends natural defensive ends and two tackles they, ge- they struggled to generate a pass rush from the outside. They didn't have a Marquise Haynes to come off the edge and things like that. So can one of these, can some of these guys on the defensive line generate a pass rush without the, needing these edge players to help them do so? That will be kind of the key for this defense in the passing game, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, there was zero pass rush last year. I mean, they gave quarterbacks time to sit back there and pick apart a secondary that, frankly, wasn't very good. So uh, that was, you know, the biggest issue with defense besides, you know, not being able to stop the run either. Uh, but it was, 
it was unfortunate last year how little pressure got got put on the quarterback, and, and I feel like that'll be different this year. They have guys that come off the edge, and Coatney and and, and uh, uh, Shepard and, and Williams that can make plays. I think Benito Jones takes a step his senior year. There's some depth behind him. Ryder Anderson is showing some flashes. Yeah, I mean there there's a chance this year that you look up and just say this defensive line was pretty pretty good. Um, I mean, it, it could it could go the other way too, but I think there's a chance that, that this team puts a little pressure on the quarterback and is able to to hold their own in the rushing department because the defensive line has enough guys to do so. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And well, to be fair, last year they weren't exactly. I'm trying to word this without being overly critical, which is I don't even think possible. Basically, I'm trying to be nice. They were not exactly. Um, nuanced in their blitz schemes and how they generated pressure. Um, I'll put it that way. So I think It was like it was like uh, the the people that are going to rush Area 51. They were just going to go see the alien. Yeah, that that's true. It was basically just get back there. Um anyway, <laughs> so that'll help some too, a more organized scheme. I think you can sense that from talking to the players. A lot of these interviews as I've mentioned a 100 times, you do. I mean, not that these kids are not giving good answers. Some of, I mean, most of them are enjoyable to talk to. But there's just not a whole lot you get out of it. But you can sense that they, they. I think they're more confident in this scheme and more confident in Mac than they were last year. You can just tell, kind of reading between the lines, but also not even really reading in between the lines. Just some of the offhanded comments they make about different things. You can tell they're more confident about that. Um. I'm trying to think if I had any other notes from practice that I was missing. You can read the practice report at supertalk.fm if you know how to read. Um, <laughs> let's see. No, nothing really. Michael Howard was working at left tackle again, and they had Bryce Matthews at right tackle. They need those guys to flip. They're basically banking on everyone staying health or most people, you know, staying as healthy as possible and generating depth by having guys that can play multiple spots because the backups kind of are what they are. Um, Carter Colquitt has been working with second team center for the last couple of days. Make of that what you will. I, I, I think. They've tried Bryce Ramsey with some self at center. I, if you ask me who their second team center is, if Eli Johnson goes down tomorrow, my answer is I don't know. And they don't know either. I don't think they're 100% positive either. I think they feel okay about Jalen Cunningham. I think they feel okay about Chandler Tewitt at the backup guard spots. Guys that not very experienced but at least been around. You're Obviously, you've got two true freshmen at tackles that have not undergone spring ball. And We've hammered this point into the ground, but I keep getting asked this question a lot. I got asked it by a couple people a couple times over the weekend. It's not that they don't think these true freshmen aren't good. Like, they were happy about Broker. They were happy about James. They're happy about a couple of these kids they brought in. But it's so different trying to, particularly if you don't have spring football, trying to get true freshmen physically ready to play offensive line in the SEC. Not even let Forget the scheme, forget the blocking stuff, forget all the stuff you have to know and memorize and the different things you have to do as an offensive lineman. Just being physically ready for that as an 18-year-old true freshman who didn't have the benefit of the spring is a next-to-impossible task. You can try to get them as close as you can, but it's, it's, if they're being honest, it's, it's, it's close to impossible. And so it's not that they don't think these kids are good. It's just... I mean, I heard Cole. I, I I thought this was a hot take at first when I heard it, but I, we were watching. We were doing a commercial break on the radio show the other day, and Richard turns the volume up on the television during a commercial break. Sometimes, if something's interesting on, and by something inter- interesting, I basically mean not fine bomb. And 
Cole Kublick was on there that was doing one of the studio shows. I think it was the anniversary show. Whatever. It doesn't matter. He was arguing that playing offensive line as a true freshman in the SEC is harder than playing quarterback as a true freshman in the SEC. And I know that sounds ridiculous. I know that sounds absurd. But the, the argument has some merit. He's not that far off. I mean, yeah, okay. Um I, I mean, dude, that. it's hard. You're physically, unless you're like, and barring some rare exceptions, you're physically not prepared, and there's so much stuff you have to learn. And defensive ends and defensive tackles at the SEC level are night and day different than what you'll face yeah, in college. I, I think the, the, there's a lot. I think it's a lot harder physically to play than quarterback. Obviously, I think so. From a, from a mental standpoint, it's probably a little bit easier than quarterback, but really not that that much. I, I think I tend to agree with him. Maybe, especially at the tackle position where you've got, you know, 280-pound defensive ends that run a 4-4 coming at you, and you're 18 years old and played against guys that weighed 185 and ran a 4-2 or a 5-2 last year. Well, yeah, that and his part of his argument was, and I think it was a good one, is like, look, at freshman quarterback, you've got a guy, you've got a coach in your ear every single play being like, here's the play, do this. And I'm not acting like that's easy. I'm not saying they're basically a puppet on a string, but you have someone talking to you constantly. As a freshman offensive lineman, you don't. you got the dude next to you, and that's about it. Like, of course, coaches can yell in from the sideline and all that stuff, but you're kind of – you're. I mean, for the lack of a better phrase, you're more naked and exposed than you are as a freshman quarterback. Because as a quarterback, you got an offensive coordinator in your ear. You know, you've got him helping you call some of the plays and looking for some other stuff. Freshman offensive linemen don't have that. Oh, absolutely agree. Um, it, I, I mean, if you put it like this, if Ole Miss had to play, I don't know, uh, John Reese Plumley or one of these freshmen at left tackle this year, which one do you think they would choose? I think they'd choose probably Plumley. Yeah. Um. So that's what it is. So the full second-team offensive line, if you're into that sort of thing, broker, left tackle, Cunningham, left guard, Colquitt, center. Um, what in the world happened to my computer? Oh, Ben Brown. <laughs> no, um, Chandler Tewitt, right guard, right tackle, Jeremy James. Sorry, I think my computer farted. I don't really know what happened just there. I was going to say, that's going to be a revelation if Ben Brown is his second team. No, no, no. But my, my, my computer just did something very odd. Um, Anyway... So that's kind of what they're looking at. Like you said, the, that's the the first team offensive line is going to be exactly what it's been all of camp. Except when Givens comes back, Michael Howard's probably the odd man out. But you know, the reps he's getting right now are valuable, and him acting as if he's going to have to start is only going to help this team. Um, so Michael Howard's at right tackle, and Matthews is at left right now. Well, they flipped him this past week, so Howard that had been the case, but Howard is now working left. Matthews working it right. That's not a position switch by any stretch of the imagination. They need both those dudes to be able to play both. Okay, fair enough. I just wondered if they had moved because uh, Gibbons was playing right tackle, correct? He was. I, I just wondered if they did that just so they could slide Gibbons back into right tackle and keep Howard at left. I just was curious there. Um, I, I just think they need guys that can play as much as it, you know multiple positions. They need guys that can play both tackles. Um, as Charles Barkley would say, they need him to be amphibious. Um, amphibious. So that's about all I had from pra- uh, notes from Friday's practice. Like I said, I'm going to football here in a little bit after we get in recording this podcast. And we'll, I'm interested. The Mondays are always interesting, particularly the last one and this one, because you can actually kind of hear what they thought about the scrimmage. Um, you know, after last week's scrimmage, you heard about at least a li- at least what sounds like a little bit of separation in terms of the backup quarterback job. Um, among some other things, you know, Lakia Henry had a really good scrimmage last week. You know, once you hear the names, the coaches start floating around. You can kind of get an idea who's making a move and who's making a push at certain spots. So we'll have that for you. I'll have coverage at supertalk.fm. You can read it. Um, I'll put it out on Twitter, all that kind of stuff, if you're into reading and that's part of your skill set. So 
Um, as far as a football thing, I think that's really about all I had. We'll have, obviously, a lot more on Wednesday after we talk to some different guys. Um, Sammy Hunter got cleared. Uh, yeah, he did. So that was my next thing. So basketball news, Sammy Hunter, um, first reported by a bah- Bahamian media outlet called 10th Year Senior, um, sure. I believe is the name of the media outlet. I believe it's actually fairly reputable down there in terms of like transfer news and some other stuff. So he has basically done everything he needs to do to reclassify, and he in all likelihood will be joining Ole Miss this year. Um, six, seven. Wait, he, he's a reclassifying kid? Um. No, 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 no. I okay. said that wrong. I was thinking of, uh, and we'll get to that in a second. No. Past his summer school classes will be on campus. He is not a okay. reclassifying kid. He finished his high school career this past year. That is my mistake. Good call. Um, Obviously, dude had offers from what? Like Kansas State, Arkansas, Auburn, Oklahoma, among others. Why this is big news is because Ole Miss has reshaped its front court in the matter of one offseason significantly. He and Hadim C., um, as, you know, along with Carlos Curry, you know, the front court's going to look a lot different and presumably be a lot better, and Sammy Hunter will be a part of that. I think he'll play a fairly significant role. Will he start? Will he come off the bench? I'm not really sure, but he's going to play, and he's going to provide them depth in the front court, which is a luxury they did not have last year. What, 6'9", six, six, 230? Um, can face up a little bit. Has pretty pretty skilled um, from the limited amount I've seen for him. I think they like his athleticism, and again, this is helps for depth as far as, I mean, more so than anything else. You think about it. They've got four guys that can play the four and five. I know they probably want to keep Benson at the three. Well, name them. They've em. got four guys that, that are pretty that are forward, uh, to say the least, that can step out and shoot it. Name the I four. Mean, do what? Name yeah, the Hunter's f- a four. Uh, I mean, you got Hunter that can shoot it, Henson that can shoot it. I think Buffin's going to shoot it a lot better this year. Um, and they can certainly shoot the basketball. That's four guys that can step out and really space the defense out. With, with guys that can put it on the floor and Brian and, and uh, Shuler and can get to the rack, that's going to be pretty important for them this year. And Columns a three, probably, but yeah. that's still another position to add to the front court. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, a dude they could play down there for stretches, 6'7", 220, I think he's around where he's around. Like, sure. not ideal. It's kind of like a Henson Buffin deal last year where you probably don't want to play him like that. But, like, it's, it's it, in terms of you're talking about padding depth and your front court looking different than it did last year, Column's another piece to that, too. But obviously, Sammy Hunter's a big, a big, big occurrence, basically, for this front court, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, absolutely. He's a, I think they felt like he was a top 100 kid if he played the state. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and you've seen a lot of kid kids in under Kermit early come from the Caribbean, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I mean uh, Miller uh, isn't he from Bahamas? He is. Bahamas? Yeah, and then now you have uh, uh, Hunter. I mean, that's a that's a place they can play basketball to be sure. Um, so that's a it's a good pipeline for Ole Miss to have. Yeah, and this kid put up stupid numbers in high school. Um, like, I mean, what it was around like thirty something a game. Like, he was around thirty points well, a game, I believe. You know, he played on the team like the, you know these teams go around like Memphis is in the Bahamas right now. He played on a team that played Notre Dame and put up like eighteen and ten. Really? So, yeah, he he's played Division one competition before. I, I don't think it's going to take much for him to get acclimated. No, no, he's going to play, and he's going to play quickly. Um, I, this is a big move because if, if you just look at last year, that team, Kermit Davis got that team to the NCAA tournament. Now, granted, you lose Terrence Davis. Yes, that's a big loss. But 
they got there with Bruce Stevens and Dominique Olenicek as their front court, and their front court is going to be exponentially better than it was a year yeah, ago. Yeah, and, and Bruce, bless him, um, he was supposed to be the guy that could step out and make a three. And for the most part, that was not the case last year. Um, he was he okay offensively. It's just they, if they if they could form if they could take Dom's defense and Bruce's offense and mold it into one player, they would have been a lot better off. But the problem is they needed two of those players. <laughs> yeah, and so. I don't know. I think they're gonna, like you said, they're going to be a lot better. I think it kind of feels like Z is the that, that player with uh, Bruce's offense and Dom's defense. Obviously, not as tall as Dom, but I, I kind of feel like he is the player that, that encapsulates both of them. Yeah, so I'm gonna inter- I'm interested to see what the, as this roster for basketball starts to take shape, kind of what some of this looks like because I think they could be. I mean, look, if the front court ends up like you think it's and these guys come along and kind of Curry makes some steps, and I don't really know what you have in Luis Rodriguez yet, but if he kind of takes a step forward and then you've got, you know, Hunter coming in, you have C, this team could be pretty deep. I mean, they could literally, they could be 10 deep. Was it you that was saying that, that Rodriguez had the best summer of anybody? That's what I keep hearing from people around there, around the, the program, in terms of just reshaping his body, getting better. If you're looking for a guy that took a huge step forward in the offseason, and I know that's a cliched thing to say, but if you're looking for a guy the staff was high on in terms of making a, a, a significant step forward, it's Luis Rodriguez. I think he has a chance to start. Okay. Wow, it's a four? Three, four. I mean, I, 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 I don't... I don't know exactly what Luis Rodriguez is yet because we saw him in such limited capacity last year. And granted, he was the guy you just stuck in there when they got in ridiculous. I mean, they were so thin in the front court. He was the guy they stuck in there and was like, please, can we survive six minutes off of this or four minutes at a time? Um, you know, basically, can we survive out there? And he looked lost at times. But I don't know what he is. I mean, six six two hundred pounds. I'm sure he's gotten stronger from then. You know, I mean, he's probably. I mean, he's a three more than likely. Um, but if they went small, could he play at the four? Maybe I don't know. I, I'm interested to see what Luis Rodriguez is this year because I don't think we saw a lot of it last year. If, if I put a gun to your head and make you made you guess the starting lineup right now, what, what would you say? I'd you say get it right. I'd now. say don't shoot me until October. <laughs> I don't. I really. I couldn't give you. I mean, I know three. You know three of them, right? Like C's going to start, Schuler's going to start, Brian's going to start. I think you can start there. I mean, Henson probably is going to start. Yeah, I would think there too that you're going to put him at the three more than likely, uh, or you could put him at the four and, and play Crowley at the three. I don't know. I feel like three spots are locked down. So you, well, maybe four with Henson. So you're kind of competing uh, for one spot there. But obviously, everybody's going to play. Yeah, so that's big news for basketball. Um, that's Kermit Davis has is, is kind of kept the ball rolling, and if you're looking for a program on campus with the most momentum and appears to be the most stability and consistency, who'd have thunk it? It was the basketball program. Hey, Mike Smith would like a word. I'm talking major three. Mike Smith, I, <laughs> look, he's done what he's done. He's been very good. I mean, no disrespect to that. I'm just talking about the three major sports on campus. Yeah, I would actually argue basketball is even in even better shape. Man, what what's the feeling for this team? It's the second weekend, right? If everything shapes up like it's supposed to, that team could win two games and make the second weekend of the tournament, I think. I think they're good enough to do that. Last year, obviously, that team was had no business... I mean, they were an NCAA tournament team. I'm not going to say they had no business being there. That team was not set to win a game or multiple games in the NCAA tournament. That was a major accomplishment that that team was in the arena in Columbia, South Carolina at 11 o'clock in the morning on whatever day that was. That was the accomplishment for that team. 
but you know. Yeah, but no, but that was an accomplishment for that team oh, being there. I mean, that was a remarkable accomplishment for a team projected to finish 14th out of 14 teams. Um, they didn't finish 14th out of 14 teams. Um, and the SEC is going to be better this year. Yeah, right? see. Like, that's that's what that's that's exactly what it's going to be. Is like Ole Miss could be better, but there's a couple teams that are going to be really good basketball teams that just get swallowed up by this league. Yeah, I think Georgia's going to be a lot better. Mississippi State's going to be probably as good as they were last year. Maybe not. They lost Peters and Weatherspoon. Where did Peters wind up going? Lamar Peters. Yeah, I think didn't he declare to go professional? Oh, sure. I don't know. Um, they lost both of them. Um, I wonder if the actually I'm sitting here talking to myself out of Mississippi State. Who knows if the Weatherspoon kid's going to play this year? Uh, I don't know. But, yeah, Peter uh, signed an uh, undrafted free agent contract with the Knicks. Yeah, if you say so. Uh, Florida's going to win the league, though. Um, I'm not counting out Kentucky. I'm not counting out Auburn, but I would agree because Kerry Blackshear is probably the single most impactful transfer in the SEC this season. Is probably not even close. Yeah, um, Buzz really good coach. A&M will be better. I don't know how much better. Uh, Tennessee's going to be interesting. They lost almost everything. Yeah, I'm not necessarily counting out Rick Barnes, though, in terms of... Because nope. you can reshape a team so quickly in modern-day college basketball now, and I'm not going to pretend to know what I know anything about Tennessee's roster attrition at, all, at August 18th or whatever the hell it is. Um... <laughs> But to your point, two of the worst teams in the league, one of the two of the lower tier teams in the league, Arkansas and A and M, added Eric Musselman and Buzz Williams. Are you gonna? So Ole Miss plays at Memphis, who's going to be probably a top ten team this year. The same day they play LSU at home in football that night, probably. Are you gonna, are you going to do both? Those are the same day. Same day. Um, I don't know. I may just not remind my bosses that both are the same day. <laughs> Out. Yeah, so that part will be cut from the record. I don't know. I'm going to have to cross that bridge from I come to it. How about you get me to the Memphis football game first, and then we'll talk. You'll be going to Memphis a lot, man. Uh, yes, I will. I will be going to Memphis. It's kind of like Texas last year. I went to Houston, what, twice in like a two-month span? Wait, for what? Uh, well, you got to fly into Houston to get to College Station because it's right next to it, and then they had the opener in Houston. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. And you get to go back Next year. Oh no! So you're off a weekend. I just looked it up. Emma. Yeah. So what's I think what's throwing you off here is I one I will to answer your question now I will be at that Memphis game. So you're forgetting about the bye week between the Egg Bowl and the LSU game, and uh, Ole Miss plays okay. Memphis on that bye week. So like when they would normally or in the past their penultimate game would be on that 23rd Saturday they actually have a bye. So I will be in Memphis. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> you're welcome. You can go to rendezvous. Um, yeah, so LSU's Saturday the 16th, Memphis is Saturday the 23rd. I'll actually, I like, I, 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 I like covering basketball, particularly when the team I'm covering is good because it's obviously it's more interesting. I really like basketball as a sport in general. So that'll be an interesting game because ten, I mean, Memphis is going to be really good. I do know I'm right about this. The Lakers play at the, at the uh, is it the Forum? I guess, yeah, the Forum. They play at the Forum against the Grizzlies later that night. I may wind up doing both. I may, if I can get off work in time, I actually may do that because I want to see. I've never seen LeBron James play, and that's on my bucket list before I, uh, before he's gone. Yeah, I mean that 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 the tickets won't be cheap, but it'd probably be worth it. NBA games are awesome, but the the, the key with the NBA games is you have to fork up enough money to sit. 
I'm not talking sit like lower level and break the bank, but buying a nosebleed ticket to an NBA game doesn't do anything justice. It's not the same experience because, like, I, I've I've done it. I've done both before. Like, I've I've like you know ponied up like for a Pelicans game. I think I ponied up like a hundred dollars for a ticket, and we sat pretty low, and it was awesome. But then I paid like twenty five bucks to sit in the nosebleeds at a Grizzlies game. And my advice to you, if you can do it, is just fork up a little extra money because when you sit in the nosebleeds, you don't get to appreciate how ridiculously big and athletic these dudes are flying through the air because you're so high up. Yeah, that that seems fair. Kind of feels like uh, NFL football where it's just so fast that if. If you're not, you know, close enough to the action, you can't truly appreciate it. Yeah, because, like, if you're sitting way up high at a Grizzlies game, like, and those guys come up and go through a dunk, like, not that they look like like little specks, but they're not nearly as big and you can't appreciate the side with it. So I, I, took, uh, I took my girlfriend to a, uh, a Grizzlies, a, excuse me, a Pelicans game. I guess this was over a year and a half ago now. This was like a week before Boogie got hurt. So it was when Boogie and AD were kind of figuring it out and the Pelicans were on a tear. And we sat like four or five rows above the bench because they were playing the Grizzlies, and there was, it was like a Saturday afternoon game, and they were playing the Grizzlies. So there was no one in this arena, and like the tickets were nothing. And it was so much fun just watching those dudes. Like, I mean, when you're that close and those dudes are that big doing what they do, it's insane. Speaking of boogie, goodness, that 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 sucks. Uh, yeah, it's I hate to be like 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 cold, but it, it's probably over. I mean, big guys with that amount of injuries. I hate it. He hadn't been able to stay healthy. I hope he's made enough money in his career. And between other things to kind of be set, but I, I just don't see it again. Lakers still got to pay him though. They do, they do. At least some some of it. So I I don't know. I, I feel bad for Boogie. I, I hate like his best years. He was buried in Sacramento on a team that wasn't very good, and then he was so close to getting a max contract before he went out with the Achilles thing with New Orleans. And it's just like I would have liked to see him in, in prime time action with the contending team for at least a season or two. Give me like one Boogie playoff run. Is that a is it the same leg that we know that he that he tore the Achilles on? Uh, I don't know. I'm not necessarily sure it matters. Okay. Um, but I I, I don't know that. Oh, um, Lakers going to sign Dwight Howard. Oh God! Talk about a guy that's. He's probably still going to make the Basketball Hall of Fame because everyone makes the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. <laughs> but talk about a guy who was literally on top of the. I mean, you were talking about a time when that 9 Magic team beat LeBron's team to get to the finals and lose to Kobe in five. I mean, there were people talking about how Dwight Howard was kind of the next face of the league and possibly not LeBron James. That was a world like that was the world we were living in in two thousand nine. Yeah, I'm never gonna give that to a big guy like that. They can't step out and shoot it. Uh, I just don't. Besides Shaq, there's just not much evidence for that. It's easy to say that now, though. But that's the way that like if if, if you were the safest. If you, you a lot there was no safer lottery pick from nineteen I mean really nineteen eighty to two thousand and seven, eight ish than a back to the basket center that could just dominate inside. I mean, the Warriors changed how basketball was played, which is probably why they're one of the most impactful NBA dynasties of all time, if not the most impactful, because they changed completely how you played a game. But literally, as late as 2008, 2009, those guys still had a place in the league. Now if you can't shoot, you literally can't play. You can't be on no. the court. If you can't defend the perimeter and you can't at least have a threat to shoot, you can't play. Could Shaq play in today's game? I mean, obviously he would play, but he wouldn't be the same guy, right? No, I don't think he'd be the same guy. But again, you can't penalize him for it because he dominated the way the game oh, the game he was played. You know when he was playing, and so 
it's interesting how it changed, but it'll be cyclical. It'll eventually go back to some other form of bigger like type of basketball. And I think you might start to see that with the way a couple of these teams are constructed this year. Is like you don't necessarily have to play like the Warriors play. So it's all cyclical. It'll all come back, and that's part of the reason why I'm so jacked about the NBA season because there's a lot of teams constructed in a lot of different ways. And for the first time in a long time, I have no idea who's going to win the title. I think it's yeah. probably the Clippers or maybe the Lakers. I don't know that for a fact though. I mean. Utah's really good. Denver's really good. Um, I mean, Philly added Al Horford. Like, I, who's the favorite to win the East? It has to be Philly or Milwaukee. Yeah, it's Philly or Milwaukee. Um, but if the if the Kimba thing's a gigantic success and they make another trade at the trade deadline, then Boston's there too. Sure. So I'm anyway, gonna, I'm going to let you uh, talk about golf. I do need to ask something though before you start. How did the uh, Trollio kid finish? So he lost to Andy Ogletree, the other uh, Meridian kid, in the round of. Uh, in the fi- in the uh, semifinals, okay. So it's Mississippi on Mississippi in the semifinals. I got you. So like, is, is he still in school? Who? The, the Trolio kid. Is he still in, like, high school? Oh, yeah. So that's... Here, let me get to this. So basically, what uh, we have golf news because, um, well, one, Andy Ogletree, who's a Union Mississippi native, I think his address is technically Little Rock, Mississippi, but he lives in Union, um, won the U.S. Amateur. He's the first native Mississippian to ever win the U.S. Amateur. Um, Mississippi had two of the final four contestants in the U.S. Amateur, which is such a ridiculous feat. I can't even really put it into words. Like, how hard that is to do, and particularly is... So we have a Winners and Losers segment on our radio show every Monday, and um, it's going to be Mississippi Golf in general. I was going to be at Andy Ogletree, but Cohen Trollio, who is the son of VJ Trollio, who is at Old Waverly Mossy Oak, that whole deal up there. Yeah, he... Really he good. Coaches, uh, Oak Hills Golf Clubs. I know them constantly. Yeah, really, really good teacher. Um, but Cohen Trollio, who graduates high school in 2021... So I guess he's a junior in high school, made it to the semifinals of the U.S. Amateur, which mostly, if you're talking peak USAM, granted, there are high school kids that compete in it, but he can still compete in the U.S. Junior Am, which is 18 and under, but he's competing in the U.S. Am, which is primarily dominated by college-age kids, um, and made it to the semifinals. He's an LSU commit, but Mississippi had two of the final four, which is just the hardest flex on how good junior-slash-amateur golf is in this state. I can't even really put it into words. This state doesn't really get enough credit. They have so many good players and so many good teachers, it's it's kind of ridiculous. So 16-year-old Colin Trollio makes the semifinals of the USAM, which is so hard to do. Like I, I'm having, I, I don't really know how to like properly put it into words, but then he gets beat by fellow Mississippian Andy Ogletree, who is a junior at Georgia Tech. I don't completely quote me on that. I'm oh, not so he's, he's in college. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he plays at Georgia Tech. Okay. So, basically, the way junior golf works, if you're if you're under eight, like high school and under, you're considered a junior, and then after that, you're considered an amateur. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, I, it, it's 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 a remarkable accomplishment. It's a really good look for junior golf in the state. Um, this state has a lot of really good teachers, a lot of really good players. I mean, John Howell is an assistant at Alabama now, but he really helped build some of these kids up at the junior program at Country Club of Jackson. Chad Darby, who's in Annandale. Tim Basil is another good teacher. Tim Yelverton at uh, Mossy Oak Waverly. I don't make sure I have that right. Uh, obviously, Cohen Trollio's father, who caddied for him. Uh, VJ, another really good teacher. This it, this state is littered with really good young players and really good young teachers, and it's really happened in the last decade, and it doesn't really get enough credit, but it definitely showed this weekend because that's incredibly hard to do. So is Ogletree won it? Yes, he won it. 
What's um, more impressive, the, him winning it or the 16-year-old making the semifinal? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, it's so hard to win a USM. Um, but, man, getting to the semifinals at 16 is a ridiculous accomplishment in and of itself. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're both ridiculously impressive in their own right. I, I don't really even know how to quantify it. But, like, here, I'll go through some of these last guys that, that won the USM. Uh, Victor Hovland, who's now on tour right now, a year in. Um, Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. Matthew Fitzpatrick. Um, Ryan Moore. Ricky Barnes. Tiger Woods twice. Phil Mickelson. <laughs> um, Mark O'Mara. John Cook. I mean, you're, you you kind of get the picture here. Jack Nicholas. Um, like you you get the picture here. It's 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 a ridiculous accomplishment. Uh, kid from a small town in Mississippi. Um, junior golf here kicks ass. That's basically my 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 summation of it. And it was definitely on display this weekend. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a dumb question. Why do, like every time I hear one of these, one of these top players mention they're not committed to Ole Miss or Mississippi State, do they just lack behind so much in other schools that it's really hard for them to get those guys? It's it's yes and no. Yes, so Ogletree, they, uh, Chase, we were talking about this last night. Chase Parham sent me a quote about Ogletree's recruitment. He said, I grew up a diehard Ole Miss fan, but I mean, he ended up, but he said, once I took a visit to Georgia Tech, I just couldn't, you know, it, 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 was, it was basically a place I couldn't turn down. It's just from a, and it's difficult to say because State's gotten a facilities upgrade with the whole Mossy Oak thing going up. Ole Miss is trying to upgrade theirs, but. There's just a level that you can't compete on with the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Georgia Techs of the world in terms of not only facilities, but also the access to golf courses. I mean, okay. Atlanta Athletic Club, East Lake, where they play the Tour Championship, they get to go play Augusta, which actually I think Malloy takes his team once a year to go play Augusta too, so that's kind of moot. But just the amount of golf courses in the proximity to the Atlanta area, kind of the same thing with Alabama and Birmingham and all that, it's just night and day. And then from a facilities perspective, it's just it, it, it's, it's, it's not even the same playing field. And I don't think Malloy would mind me saying that because I remember when I was – a couple of years ago, I was doing a story on when Ole Miss golf program was really, and still is on the up and up, but when Malloy was really first building the thing, I, I remember sitting in his office one day, and I was trying to basically sugarcoat a question about them being behind in facilities, and he could tell I was trying to dance around it, and he was just like, you can say it, we have the worst facilities in the league. <laughs> I was like, okay, fair enough. And so like, he, they're self-aware about it. I mean, he knows. And to their credit, they've done a like, fantastic job building up that practice area out by the university course. Like, they've done pretty much all they can do with that piece of property. It's gotten immensely better. I don't mean to, like, like crap on Ole Miss or State's facilities, but just if you go look at the Georgias or the Georgia Techs of the world and then you add in the access to the golf courses they have within close proximity, it's just hard to compete with that. And so there are always going to be kids that want to stay in-state, but, like, the elite-level elite, elite level kid, it's, it's, it's hard to to keep them in state when when other schools from around the country are recruiting him and being like, hey, look what we have over here. Like it's 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 one of those things. It's hard to even fault either coach at either school. I mean, it's it's, sure. it's just it's. I mean, it's it's kind of the same in football. It's like you have in state kids here. It's like why would they not go to Alabama or Georgia? You know what I mean? The Nicobe Deans or the kids that go to Alabama. It's kind of the same deal. Right. No, and that's fair. But but Ole Miss and State has kept in state kids before, but. I mean, they, they don't lack behind from a facilities perspective relative to that. They say, like, it sounds like Ole Miss golf does. No, and Malloy's done a, de- a good job. Oh, he's done a hell of a job. And, no, and, uh, yeah, no, and J- Malloy's 
what Malloy's done here since he's gotten here speaks for itself. But I was just saying specifically to in-state kids like Cecil Wegner, Jack Nam, two in- Jackson kids that are both in-state that they kept here. It's just I mean you're gonna lose kids when when. As rich as the golf town in this state has gotten, I guess is what I'm saying is is you're going to lose kids because they're places that just offer more. But they've done yeah. as good as good a job as they can. Anyway, is golf a full scholarship sport? Oh God, I <laughs> not you're gonna. I, I don't know. You're only getting two or three a year, so probably I don't actually know the answer to that for sure. I don't know. Um, okay. but you're only getting a couple a year, like two, three kids a year. How many? How many kids on Ross? Um, you probably have what twelve to fifteen at a time. Let's see. Ole Miss right now in their active golf roster has It is a it is not a full scholarship sport. Eight. It has uh non scholarship. Okay, yeah, so they got so last year, so last year they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven last year, and I bet in this current roster, I bet they haven't added the true freshman. If I had to guess, let me let me correct myself. They only have four point five scholarships. Yeah, so you're working with kids on partial. I didn't figure it was a full scholarship thing, but you're only getting a couple kids a year anyway. Um, yeah, so. Junior amateur golf in the state is uh, it definitely showed out over the weekend. Congrats to uh, Andy Ogletree. That's a hell of an accomplishment. Um, was four down through eleven holes and came back to win that thing. It's a thirty-six hole final, but it is a uh, he got down early, came back, um, really played really really solid down the stretch and played really well against uh, Trolio too. It's not like the Trolio. It's not like Cohen Trolio played bad in that uh, semifinal match. Just uh, Ogletree was on one. So Where, where'd they play it at? Uh, they played it at uh, Pinehurst. Okay, gotcha. So, anyway, congrats to them. That's a big flex for junior golf in the state. Um, I think that's about all I had for today. I didn't really do anything interesting over the weekend. I played golf, uh, not as well as uh, Andy Ogletree, um, but played golf one day. It was hot as shit. It was, uh, yeah, that was about it. Did you do anything interesting this weekend? I, I did not. Hey, have you thought about that Ole Miss starts school Monday and it's going to be like your first day to not have to go to school and since you're like, what, four? So that's next Monday? Yeah, I have thought about this because it would be my first time like living in Oxford and not going to class and school at all. I still go write in the Grove sometimes just because it's an inter- like it's a place I like to go sit down and write, but like I'm not going to be like going to campus and on campus at all anymore. It's going to be kind of weird. I still haven't taken my parking sticker off. I should probably do that. You like being outside, don't you? Writing-wise, yes, if the temperature's not unbearably hot. I just feel more creative outside than I do, like, sitting in my kitchen or sitting in a living room. I can go sit in, like, a coffee shop or something. I hate sitting at my house and writing, I guess is what I'm... Okay. Okay. Uh, um, so, yeah. So, that's really about all I got today. Um, we'll be... Do you have anything else? Did we miss anything else over the weekend happening? No, besides uh, my phone getting dropped in a lake. Yeah, how'd that happen? It's a long story. Basically, we had a dog on a boat, and the dog knocked, like, two phones into the lake. It was an experience. Who was the other now phone? Now I've got to go to AT&T and pick up another one. So what are you talking on now? Like, a pay phone? What is this? No, it's still my phone, so it's blacked out. Like, I have to, I have to, I can, I can see, like, a portion of it, the screen's messed up. So I can see, like, a portion of it enough to hit, like, the button that I need to call. But if I have to send text messages, I do it on, like, a friend's iPad. So, uh, yeah. So how 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 are you gonna uh, how are you gonna manage that? 
I, I mean, I'm just going to go to AT&T. I have a, I have a warranty and be like, look, uh, i got to get a new one. Fair enough. Um, so good luck with that because getting a phone's a pain in the or breaking your phone is a pain in the ass. So yeah, getting yeah. a new phone is not really that big of a pain in the ass nowadays with as easy as they flip some of that stuff over. I've lost, I'm going to lose like all my contacts too because I didn't back it up. So that'll be fun. Um, I think they can get it off your old phone if it's functional at all. Okay. Well, it is functional. Anyway, good luck with that. So, uh, that's about all I got. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go to practice, uh, unless you have anything else. Nope. Sounds good. We'll be back Wednesday. We'll be back on Wednesday. I'm probably going to get a football-related guest on Wednesday. It's kind of getting close enough. I might get someone from Memphis. I might just get a guy to talk football in general. I don't really know. I'm going to do some producing over that for the next couple of... next uh, day or so so we'll be back at it on wednesday as we approach game week uh this time next week it will be monday press press conference time which is kind of insane to think about <laughs> sounds so, good anyway for uh colin brister i'm brian scott rippey we people's podcast will be back on wednesday a super talk mississippi media production